Good morning, everyone. My name is Evan Smith, and it is my privilege to, to meet many of you uh, over the course of the last couple of days. It is also my privilege this morning to lead us in looking at God's Word together. I grew up in a relatively large family. Uh, we had a total of six kids. I was the third of six. And we got into, you know, the normal kinds of trouble that kids get into. Uh, one particular unique thing about our house is that we had a room that had a TV in it. It was technically the downstairs bedroom. And the door could lock. And so my parents could easily lock us out of watching TV. And, you know, that was of, of the things kids like to do. Watching TV is, has got to be in at least the top five. And so whenever our parents were gone, either on a date night or spending time with friends or even just working late, uh, it was our sole mission to get into that room. Sometimes it was easy. Sometimes they forgot to lock the door, and it was like, ah, perfect. Uh, other times the door was locked, but we could get in the window. Uh, my younger brother went to the library, found a book on picking locks, and devoted his, like, a lot of his time to, to getting a lock picking kit and learning how to pick locks. And he still can do it to this day. Uh, thankfully, the Lord got a hold of his life, saved him from a life of crime, and he is faithfully following the Lord right now. Um, whenever we were in there, because the, it was in, in the front of our house, it had a window facing the, the driveway, facing the street, at nighttime, I mean, we, you couldn't hide the light coming from that room. And so we would enlist one of my younger siblings to act as our lookout. They would sit by the window, you know, not watch whatever we were all were watching, and be there to tell us if headlights were coming down the street. And we would scatter like cockroaches, you know, like uh, we'd turn off the light, it would do a flash, and then, you know, we were hoping to, to not get caught. And I'd like to tell you that, you know, one day we were found out that we had our comeuppance, but it never happened. We continually got away with it, uh, to the point where even now it's kind of like a secret with us kids have uh, from our parents. Um, it's not hard sometimes to hide things from one another or to hide things from our parents. But there is one who is coming who Scripture tells us in Revelation 19, his eyes are like a flaming fire. Nothing is hidden from his sight. Not only does he see what we're doing, but he sees into the, into the recesses of our hearts, into what art we're thinking. And he is coming to judge those who are opposed to him. So as we look to, to Revelation 19, what I've been praying for for the sermon is that the gospel would be made clear and that not that we would be, you know, see something new that we've never seen before, but that we'd be encouraged by exactly the things we've been praying and singing about this morning, that we'd be quickened and strengthened in our zeal to see people come to Christ, to see the gospel go to the nations. So turn with me uh, to Revelation 19. It's on page 1040 of the Pew Bibles, but also if you just head to the back of the Bible and flip five or six pages in, you'll find Revelation 19. We're going to look at verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. 
This verse is in a, a longer description of the coming of Christ when he is coming to judge the nations. The entire book of Revelation, in, in the very first verse, it was given by the Lord Jesus to the Apostle John in order to show the believers of that time and the believers that have followed what is soon to take place. So we know that, that Christ is going to return. We don't know when, but we know that his coming is going to bring with it wrath and judgment. I think the main idea of this verse and the, the main idea I would like to, to, to preach today is that the righteous judgment of the Lord is certain. But it's not here yet. The righteous judgment of the Lord is certain, but it's not here yet. We're going to look at that in, in two points that are essentially just going to divide what I see as the main idea of this verse. Our first point will be that judgment is certain. And we'll see that in just the descriptions of what will happen when Christ will come. And the second point, that judgment is not here yet, and how that should change how we approach not only missions, but even our interactions with those around us. So the righteous judgment of the Lord is certain. It's not here yet. Looking at this verse, it's, there's three images of judgment, and any one of these would have sufficed, right? If, if John had seen Christ coming with a sword, like, oof, like that's, yeah, that's tough. If he'd come in with a rod of iron, yeah, we kind of get the picture. Treading the winepress of the wrath of God the Almighty, yeah, that would do it. What we see are, are three images, and it's curious to know why these three. Like, they all kind of are, are, are saying something similar. And I, I certainly think that one reason for that, that repetition, different images of judgment, is that it's showing that this is inescapable. Already earlier in chapter 19, Jesus is described as having eyes of the flame of fire. There is nothing and no one that can escape the wrath of God. Looking at these images, I mean, ordinarily we think of a sword holding it like this. Uh, the sword is coming from the mouth of the Lord Jesus. It's unique. You know, you don't, you don't think here, that, you don't picture that very often as someone wielding a sword from their mouth. Certainly what this is conveying is that the very same words that brought the universe into existence, the very same mouth that, that spoke, let there be light and there was light, that spoke, let the earth be filled and it was filled, that, that breathed air into the lungs of Adam, that very same mouth also has the power to destroy, to dissolve what has been created. Jesus' words are going to bring judgment on those who are opposed to him. That second image is of a rod. If you look down at the verse, he will rule them with a rod of iron. Iron is unyielding. Uh, I cannot bend iron. Iron can break. Uh, it, can, it can snap, but it takes a lot of force. The same rod, uh, the same word for rod there, the exact same word that's used elsewhere for this, this, the tool of a shepherd. That's the idea of this rod is coming, but it's not just the ordinary you know, shepherd's rod. It's a rod of iron. And this image is seen much earlier in Scripture, actually. In, in Psalm 2, we see 
the image of a rod of iron. And it's actually, this verse is quoting Psalm 2. But we notice that the shepherd, while gentle with his sheep, while caring for his sheep, is violent toward predators, toward those that would attack his flock. And we see this image of Christ not as only the good shepherd who who is gentle and, and caring for his sheep, but the good shepherd who protects his sheep, who avenges his sheep. Turn me, if you will, to to Psalm 2, just to look at that. It's on page 448. This is the psalm that talks about, you know, let the nations, why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? In the opening verse. It's clearly a a verse about the the Son of God, the Lord and his anointed, we see in verse 2. We know fulfilled ultimately, not in David, but in, in Christ. In verse 7, uh, David, who we believe is, is the psalmist, writes, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And here we see what we also see in Revelation 19. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You notice it's not rule, it's break. Uh, in the... The Greek version of the Old Testament, it's actually the same word. So it's, it's kind of a, a slight disparity there, but clearly John is seeing this, seeing Christ return and thinking immediately of Psalm 2. The one who will rule or break with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. That connection there to to the one who is coming with a rod of iron ultimately wasn't fulfilled in Christ's first coming, but will be fulfilled in his second coming. The wine press is the, the third and final image of judgment and what we see John seeing Jesus doing. And, I mean, even just the verbiage just piles on. I mean, he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. It's a lot. Um, I know a lot of you are parents. Surely, this has happened to me. I'm guessing it's happened. At some point, your kids are toddlers and are, are messy, and food gets dropped on the floor. Have you ever... Um, it's just a, you know, a, a feeling that's just visceral. Stepping on something wet and squishy food with bare feet that your toddler has, has put on the floor. Uh, it's it's kind of gross. It's not a great feeling. That's why you, know, you sweep and you teach kids eventually, you know, keep your food on your tray or keep your food on your plate. Have you ever stepped on a grape? It doesn't give much resistance. You know, it, it squishes flat without, without even thinking about it. Just, just a step. There is no resistance to the coming wrath of of the Lord Jesus, who will tread out the wine presses of the wrath of God the Almighty. There is no escaping, there is no hiding, there is no resistance. And this is scary. This is is not a, a, a light thing, it's a heavy thing. And I think that these images of someone coming with a sword, with a rod of iron, someone coming to tread out the wine press of God's wrath, I think ought to, if we do not know the Lord, ought to evoke fear. It ought to evoke a, a godly fear of coming judgment. 
knowing that one day our sins will be called to account. And today, if you're feeling like, you know, this is, this is a lot to take in, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, then this is the fate of all those who resist, who resist God, all those who cling to their sin. And so if you're not with Christ, then you ought to fear. Not only is judgment certain, and in these three images of judgment, but we know that every sin will be judged. And that judgment is coming ultimately when Christ returns on the cross. Every sin will be judged. But for those of us that know Christ, that judgment has happened a long time ago. Christ took on himself the wrath that we deserve. As we look at these images of God's judgment, that is what Christ has taken for us. That is what Christ has done for us. The thing that we could never do was take that wrath that our sin deserve. Every sin will be judged, but those of us that know the Lord know that that judgment has passed on to our Savior. Soon, when we take the Lord's Supper, we're going to be singing uh, the song, Smitten, Stricken, and Afflicted. And I was just struck by that third verse, and I'll, I'll read it to you, and we'll sing it later. It says, Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here may view its nature rightly on the cross. Here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed. See who bears the awful load. Tis the word, the Lord's anointed, Son of Man and Son of God. As we reflect on what Christ has accomplished for us, let us never think that our sin is, is a light thing, that it is, it is easily paid for. It was paid for at great cost, at the life and the blood of Christ. So I think one thing that we ought to do when, when looking at this verse, when looking at, at God's judgment, is to remember the cross. Remember as believers what the Lord has accomplished for us. Something great, something that is worthy of praise and worthy of our, our life's devotion to him. I think, too, for, for us, I mean, the Lord has instituted a supper, a time when we can come and as a, a body, as believers in this church and churches all over, the, all over the state of Kentucky, all over the country, all over the world, coming together on this common table to remember what our, what our Savior has done. So I would say one thing that we can do in light of this verse is make it a special point when we are gathered either here, you know, at my, at my church that I'm a member of, when the church gathers to take the Lord's Supper, to make it a special point to, to be there. To be there at the time when Christ has instituted uh, this way to memorialize and remember his death. And I'm thankful to be able to do that with you, you know, in a, in a few minutes after we sing. Secondly, I think what we need to do is, is praise the Lord for what he has done. Remember that not just when we come to the table, but remember that when, when we are confronted with our sin, just when we come to him and, and we know that, that with him, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin because the wrath was placed on Christ. Just to praise him, to thank him for those things. As believers, instead of the, the shepherd of Psalm 2, or the shepherd of this verse with the rod of iron. Because of what Christ has accomplished, 
Jesus toward us is like a good shepherd. The one who leads us beside still waters. The one who, who not, his, his rod is not uh, something that we fear, but something that gives comfort. Something that is toward us, uh, not something that is used as, a, as an implement of judgment, but as an implement of love and correction. And what a sweet thing that is, to know that, that we don't have to be afraid of the shepherd because of what he did. And, and the entirety of the wrath of God was poured out on him. It wasn't just a partial payment of our sins. It was all of it. Which is why when, when he was done, he said, it is finished. And when he died, he didn't stay dead. He, did, he totally completed, he drained the cup of God's wrath, and he rose from the dead because what was accomplished was done. He no longer needed to remain dead. He had paid it all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, and he washed it white as snow. The second thing that we're going to look at today is that this judgment that we're, we're confronted with in these three images is not here yet. This is something that is, that is future, that is to come. If you remember when we looked at Psalm 2 a moment ago, it doesn't end with the rod of iron. It ends with an appeal to the nations to kiss the sun, to bow the knee to the king. This verse in Revelation 19 doesn't have that appeal. When Christ comes again, it's finished. But he's not here yet. The book of Revelation was given so that we may know what is to come, what is future. Presently, uh, as we look really anywhere in our, in our culture, in our society, even, even in our, our families, it seems like the wicked are, are getting away with evil. That sin is going unpunished. That those who do evil are, are often flourishing and doing well. But we know that judgment is certain. The things that John saw that Jesus revealed to him are coming. And that sin will be judged ultimately. So I think one thing we can take away from this is that if you are now suffering under, under persecution or trials or, or mistreatment, know that, that those are not things that the Lord takes lightly. Those are not things that, that are just glanced over. But that those things will be judged. So endure faithfully. Endure faithfully until the end. The, the brothers and sisters that first read this book were under tremendous persecution and tremendous pressures to, to conform to the world, pressures to, to, to disavow their Savior and to, to engage in the worship of the world. And this must have been tremendously encouraging to them, knowing that the, the persecution, the pressures that they were facing were not just overlooked. They were not, Jesus was not blind to what was going on. And he's not blind to what's going on in your own life. So if you are wondering, where is God in this? Where is God in my suffering, in, in the mistreatment I'm receiving? Know that, that one day, Jesus is coming back and will make it right. The nations have not yet fallen under the sword of Jesus. And there is still time for the nations to repent. The plea of Psalm 2 is still open. 
the gospel is still freely offered. We know that if we repent of our sins and believe in the Lord Jesus, that we will be saved. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts, that we will be saved. So if right now, if you haven't done that, if you are still wondering, you know, either you have questions or, or you're, just, you're just rebellious against the Lord, against his gospel, know that while judgment is coming, the offer to you is mercy and life in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has done what we could never do. He has drained the cup of God's wrath. And so if you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, know that that offer is available to you. In the, the bulletin, I believe, on the inside back cover, it talks about if you have a question about that, if you're, if you're struggling with that, if you don't know what that means, or if you have doubts or questions, there are, not only can you come to one of the pastors, Andy or Scott, but you can come to anyone in this church and say, would you help me to understand this? And they would love nothing better than to do that with you. The nations here in this verse don't need anything different than, than you and I need, which is to hear the gospel and to repent. So I think one thing that, that we can take away from this verse and we can take away from the, the view of the coming judgment is just a, a renewed desire and impetus to see the gospel go out to the nations. To see those who have never heard the gospel, who are right now living under God's wrath, see the offer of mercy, the olive branch that is offered to them by, by their Lord. So I think one thing we can do is be faithful in prayer. Be praying for those not only that are here this week, but those that, that you have sent out as a church to Scotland, to other places. Don't forget about our brothers and sisters who are laboring in the gospel overseas. For, for us as a family, um, we do that well and, and consistently best in times of family worship. When we're looking at God's word together, singing together, it is a wonderful time just to build in praying for missionaries. Pray for the missionaries that you know. Pray for the missionaries that, that you have seen, that you visited on the field, and make that something that you do consistently, knowing that their labor is something that, that we need just as well here, but that they are going somewhere to share the gospel where, where we cannot go, where we are, you know, we're here and there elsewhere. Secondly, not only be faithful in prayer, I think also this is an impetus to financially support those who go. There's a need uh, of physical you know, necessities for those who are overseas. Um, we, we want to, to pay our pastors well. We know that they are laboring for, for our benefit. And so we want to pay them well. We want to make sure that they are freed up to do that labor. We also want to make sure that our missionaries are freed up not to be concerned with, with, you know, how am I going to feed my family, but to be concerned with how can I best get the gospel to these people or to this community. And so even as we read about or, or hear about needs of missionaries that, that you all have sent, be asking yourself, could I be a part of helping them to do their ministry well? Not everyone can. Uh, the Lord is sovereign over those things. The Lord is sovereign not only over our day-to-day -day lives, but over our finances, how well supplied we are. So I grant I don't want to place a, a burden on folks that, that Scripture doesn't place on them. But I do want to just challenge you all 
to ask yourselves and to look at your finances and say, are there ways that I can give? Are there ways that I can support folks to be able to be freed up to share the gospel with the nations while, while we are living in this time before Christ's coming? People don't just need to hear the gospel abroad. People need to hear the gospel in our families, in our workplaces. And I want to encourage us to persist in sharing the gospel faithfully and, and repetitively and redundantly. Romans 1 tells us that the, go- the, pow- the gospel is the power to save. The gospel is what has the power to, to open people's eyes through the, through the Holy Spirit, working through the hearing of the gospel to open people's eyes to see the truth, to see their, their reality, their sin, and their need of a Savior. It can feel really hard. Uh, I don't think, I think almost universally, people have in their, in their close family, in their extended family, people that are unbelievers. And I know just from my own experience that there are people that we've been praying for for years and that we've been evangelizing for years and we just are, are tired. <laughs> that it's, it's grown wearisome to us or to them. But the time is not yet to give up. There's, it is not time to give up in those efforts. The Lord can save folks when they are aged. The Lord can save folks when they are young. And in folks that, that look like just impossible cases, like how could the Lord ever save them? Be reminded of, of how the Lord saved us that we were once dead in our trespasses and the Holy Spirit quickened us to see the truth of the gospel and to believe it. That same gospel, that same truth that is salvation to us is the same offer to others as well. I think also as a church, encourage one another in that. Part of encouraging each other in sharing the gospel is praying faithfully. And when brothers and sisters share a request, say, I'm going home for Christmas, or I'm going to see my family at this time. I'm going to try to share the gospel. Be faithful in praying for those opportunities. Let people know that you're praying for them. Let them know that, that as they have chances to share the gospel with a coworker, that you're praying for them. I think that's going to, not only is the Lord going to use his, the prayers of his saints to accomplish his purposes, it's also going to be an encouragement to that brother or sister who is tired of, of continually being pushed back to encourage them to keep trying and to maintain that effort. The coming judgment of the Lord is, is severe. I, I think it's hard not to feel that. But as we reflect on it, let's reflect on what Christ has done for us and the offer that he extends not only to us, but to the nations. Let's be praying for those things. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, Lord, the the mercy that you have showed us is severe and costly because it cost Jesus his life, Lord. You gave your only son so that those who believe in him, anyone who believes in him, might have eternal life. God, that eternal life is something that, that we don't want to take for granted. Lord, help us, even if we've been faithfully following you for years and years and decades, Lord, help us to never forget the cross, to never forget what it cost 
to pay the punishment that, that we deserve. Lord, as we come to your table, I pray that that would be something that we are reflecting on and that just we are praising you and thanking you for. Lord, for those of us who are going to go out to, to be missionaries, to be sent, to take the gospel to where, where it hasn't been heard, to take the gospel to where it has just been falling on deaf ears for decades or centuries, Lord, I pray that you would quicken our steps, that you would provide for us to go, and that for those of us who send, Lord, that we would send faithfully and well, that our prayers would accompany those that we send. In Jesus' name, amen.